Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through the stories of two local winemakers. The first tells of the building of a winery experience located directly on the Oregon coast, and the second holds the creed of low-impact winemaking, high-impact causes. More on that in just a moment. Here in the studio today, we have Joe Knox from the winery at Manzanita in the studio, also known as Joe the Wino by his friends and followers, maybe. I don't know, whoever. Uh, fanatics. I oh. like to call them fanatics with a PH. It's very important. That that works for me as well. Um, we're going to talk about the winery in Manzanita. And the thing that I am so interested in this is the fact that we only think about wine in the valley and in certain regions, never on the coast. So I'm going to have you start and tell us about why, what, how, and oh, yeah. what you guys are doing. No, no, absolutely. So first and foremost, about 12 years ago, the owner of the winery at Manzanita's name is Mark Proden, great guy, a former Air Force Academy graduate, former Air Force pilot, decided when he was getting out, what do I want to do? And he opted to go into winemaking. And he was doing the co-op winemaking thing, renting space, and discovered that it, that is one of the least favorite things to do is to co-op space with somebody else and share their equipment. And you don't know who the cleanliness person is and who isn't. So he just kept plugging away and he opened a wine bar in downtown Portland, which we'll talk about later. But after about four years, he decided, okay, I need my own space. And he did some research, found a place he wanted to do it. And he chose Manzanita, Oregon, which is this absolutely gorgeous little seaside town, uh, not to be confused with Seaside, Oregon. This is Manzanita, Oregon. A little bit south of Seaside. And he built a winery there, and it's a full production winery. I like to tell people that no grapes grow in Seaside, only Coasties, which is huge. Coasties are the people who reside in those towns. And so he trucks in the fruit, presses, ferments, barrels, racks, the whole nine yards. Uh, there in, in Manzanita, Oregon. And you could do a tour. You can kind of walk through. Zoe's an amazing manager. She's out there pretty much five days a week, but we'll come in and take you through a back room tour, if you will, of what the winery looks like. It's a full-on production winery, so it's really nice. It's nice. I still have not been down there. I've only been to the <sighs> wine bar, but... Hurtful. But you promised you would take me. Oh, yeah. We'll go. We'll okay. Go. And it's a wonderful spot. And if we time it right... Pino, who is the model on the label, will be there, and he likes to give personal tours, and they usually sound like this. That's Pino. He's a black lab, by the way. Thanks for the clarification, because, you know, that might have gone weird. It could have been a seal, for all we know. (laughs) My my vocal improvisational skills. So the thing that interests me so much about Mark was the fact that he didn't start making wine with grapes. He started with... Tropical fruit. He did. That's a great part of the story. So when Mark graduated from the Northwest uh, Wine Institute Viticultural Center out of Chemeketa, he realized, and he opened Oregon's first 100% true nonprofit winery. It was called Bodachita. Uh, discovered, wow, it takes a lot of money to run a nonprofit. So Mark, by training, is an astronautical engineer. Uh, I like to tell people that aeronautical engineers keep airplanes in the sky The difference between an aeronautical and an astronautical engineer is about 100,000 feet. He keeps satellites in the sky. So he took a job as a contractor with the United States Navy in Hawaii. And while he was there, 
fresh out of wine school, he wanted to keep making wine. There's a few sources of grapes in Hawaii, not a ton. And the berries are significantly smaller in Hawaii, which is good for wine. Sometimes you want that more concentrated skin to juice level ratio, but he just couldn't get any. And shipping them over from the stateside, it would have been uh, just frozen and he didn't want to change that. So his neighbors started giving him tropical fruit, everything from passion fruit, pineapple, guava, and mango. And that's where it started. I guess the question or the million dollar question is how good is the tropical wine? There is a segment of our population that absolutely loves it. And there is a segment of our population who love Vitus vinifera, and they find it absolutely strategically and structurally sound wines, but it's not their favorite. It, it, is, it is very solid wine. Absolutely. And that's my favorite thing to say is it's structurally sound. Took him a long time to find the right yeast to go with the tropical fruit. And when he did that, he made four great wines. And now we are sitting on uh, the very end because he's not going to do it anymore. He decided he's going to stick with true grapes, true wine grapes. Well, I think that's a great place to stop because we're going to talk about the true grapes here oh, in just a moment. So let's just stop right there and we'll be right back. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 FM in the heart of Portland or streaming worldwide at prp.fm. We left off talking about the different wines that Mark has made, you know, between the tropical wines and the actual like standard Oregon type varietals. And I'm going to let you jump into what you brought today because you brought us three beautiful bottles of wine. There may be more that. uh, Oh, there's a lot more back in the shelves. Okay. Well, that's your cue to go. Perfect. Talk about wine. Uh, So the three bottles I brought today, I brought a Sauvignon Blanc 2018 hailing out of Horse Heaven Hills, Washington, Destiny Ridge to be specific. I brought a gorgeous Pinot Gris 2018 from Willamette Valley, which is hands down my favorite white wine that Mark has ever made to date. I need to say that because you never know what's coming next. And then I brought uh, a 2017 Pinot Noir, last of the potentially true cold years in Oregon. Pinot Noirs from 17 are so elegant right now. And when you compare this Pinot Noir to Eric's from Ricochet, who's also here, going to hear about him next segments. It is beautiful, the contrast in color, because lighter years, cooler years, you get lighter, more brighter acidity, heavier years, you get some deep, robust tannins. And so I brought these three because these three really, in truth, make my mouth happy. And that's what I want people to appreciate about wine. It is not about the pedigree of the wine. Yes, this wine hails from Horse Heaven Hills, it's Dundee, or it's... Newbergian in nature. No, wine's about, how does it make you feel right now, Heidi? This wine in front of you, people ask me 90 times in a week, what's your favorite wine? And the true answer is the one in front of me that I'm enjoying right now. That's it. It's that simple. And I've heard that that actual statement so many times. And for me, it's probably the same answer because I drink a lot of different wines. I see a lot of different people. I you know, and I enjoy every single one of them. So for me to choose like my favorite child of the multiple um, different wines I've tried, people I've seen, and sometimes it's maybe my favorite person who's pouring the wine at the time, but there's just so many 
amazing winemakers, so much just phenomenal wine in the state of Oregon and Washington, for that matter, that we're really um, spoiled. Oh, we are beyond spoiled. Uh, I met a gentleman last Saturday night. His name was Ian. He lives in Liverpool, England, is normally home for him. He came in, he goes, I didn't even realize Oregon had a wine region. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Let's begin. And so he spent, he wanted to spend 30 minutes. 55 minutes later, he's like, I'm late for dinner. I was like, sorry, man. You just told me you didn't know Oregon had a wine region, but look what we can do. Here's some whites. Here's some Pinot Noir, which we are world famous for. And here's some beautiful stuff that we are doing in the warmer parts of our state, which will rival anything coming out of Bordeaux or the Piedmont region of Italy. So it's It's, wonderful. What's the philosophy behind Mark's wine? Uh, uh, minimal interaction, but a crowd pleaser. So when he came out of the military, he was looking, what do I want to do? He really thought culinary was going to be the route he was going to go. But in discussing and having conversations with his educators, he was discovering that the wine was always either way overpowering to the meal that he had planned or under, underpowered by the meal he had planned. And they're like, well, just alter the recipe. And he was an astronautical engineer. And the recipe said one tablespoon, so he put in one tablespoon. You don't alter the recipe. Maybe we can alter the outside factors. And they looked at him and said, well, then you're going to have to make your own wine. And he's challenge accepted. So what he wanted to make was wine that pairs beautifully with food. Or if need be, you can stand alone and drink it by itself. And that's, to me, is such an important factor in, you know, Oregon wine and what I really find so beautiful about Oregon culture in the wine industry anyways, is that it really is this true balance between wine and food. It's not just the wine and it's not just the food that is Mm -hmm. the superstar. It's almost the shared stage Mm -hmm. that is a true complement to each other. Agreed. And and that's what I'm thankful most about the Oregon wine country is because if I'm an old world heritage wine guy. When you taste wine in France or Italy, there's always food on the table. And we changed that in the California booming industry of the 70s and 80s. And now Oregon is like, no, 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 let's bring it back to food and wine together. Symbiosis. Well, I know you are a sommelier as well. And we're going to talk about the Portland Wine Bar. So I don't want to say any more. We're just going to zip it right there. And we're going to come back in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Wine Crush, where Northwest winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. If you like what you hear, why not give us a review on iTunes? It'll help us share Wine Crush with more listeners. Thanks. We left off talking about you being a sommelier and you being a main face at the Portland Mm. Wine Bar And we got way deep into the woods and weeds while we were on break. So I want to (laughs) circle back to the Portland Wine Bar. We can do that. And honestly, what makes it so uh, amazing, because a lot of times with wine bars, they feel stuffy. They feel a little snooty. They feel a little bit not as welcoming as they should be. And your wine bar that you're um, in charge of, so to speak, Mm -hmm. is not like that whatsoever. No, I I will tell you this. I'll start by saying uh, there's a gentleman from Hawaii named Daniel who wrote probably my favorite review I've ever received in my life as a a wine guy. He gave us a five-star review, which I thought was wonderful, but his words meant more to me than he will ever know. Uh, he said that uh, Joe, and he calls me like this big hulking character in the in the review, and it's really nice. He says, but this is his perfect retirement job. 
But more importantly, he puts the pretentiousness of wine that you find in Napa and sometimes in Healdsburg, Sonoma area, back where it belongs. And that's back in the Stone Age. Because when you come into the wine bar, I want you to have fun. I I want it to be an educational experience. My training background is in wine education. I want you to know what you're drinking. And it's not just grape juice that has been fermented. It's fun. I like to think of it as a time capsule that that winemaker wanted people to appreciate for years to come. And and when we do pinkies out, we raise our left hand pinky and we sip with our right because that's not what it should be. This is about wine. This is about enjoying what was made for you, whether it's with food, without food, this was made for you. So I like to spend time with people. I like to sit back and yes, I have some wine training and wine background and wine knowledge, but more importantly, I want you to have wine fun. And for me, I mean, that's really why this podcast came about to begin with is because I was so intimidated by the pretentious um, idea of what wine was that it's really refreshing going to tasting rooms, wine bars, bottle shops, whatever, to where you have this welcoming type influence when you're walking through the door. I mean, when I came to visit you and, you know, spent the afternoon there just hanging out, more or less, you truly chose the wine for me. I kind of told you what I liked and we went from there, but it was like walking into Cheers. Like <laughs> I didn't really even know oh, you. That's a win for me right yes. there. Can I tell you so many people call me Sam Malone? They just do. And for those who don't know, Sam Malone was the head bartender at Cheers, the TV show. So. Which was an amazing show. Oh, that was awesome. For those that do not know what it is, you mm. need to look it up. And, but, that's, and that's what I'm trying to cultivate, Heidi. I want yes. to cultivate a place where you walk in and you feel welcome. Uh, we talked about it off air a little bit ago. The service element in Oregon is, and there's people who hit it out of the park, don't get me wrong. But by and large, there's a lot of people who we have cultivated that hipster indifference. And and I want to show that it doesn't have to be. And, and I've met them, whether they're 55 or 25 and all in between. There's people who just don't know that service is about looking in your eye, me looking in my eye, you know, look, making that eye contact and then introducing to something that makes you smile. And boom, that's service. All the elements from pouring to opening to talking to laughing. And when you walk out, it's like, man, I just felt like I was drinking wine in my friend's living room. Boom. Win. And there needs to be more than more of that in the area. I mean, it just... I am so enamored and so appreciative of that type of attitude and that type of energy when I'm at some place. And so what do you have going at the wine bar? Is it just wine? Is it events? We have just a little, and please tell us where it is because we only have a little bit of time left. How ironic. We keep calling it the wine bar, but it is called the Portland wine bar, not a Portland wine bar, but the Portland wine bar located on Yamhill Street in downtown Portland. We are in the hub of it all. I look out my window, I see the Pioneer Courthouse, I see the square. Uh, And what we have going on there is not just our wine, because we are our tasting room, ours being the winery at Manzanita's tasting room, but we like to bring in smaller batch wines, uh, one-off varietals that you may not have heard of, like Oxra or Limburger. And that's what we try to do, share the local. Well, thanks, Joe, for joining us. It's such a treat to have you here. And I will be back down to the Portland Wine Bar before you know it. Thanks for having us. Next up is Eric Berg from Ricochet Wine. Thanks for listening. Why not head over to iTunes and write us a review? We'd love to hear from you, and it helps others find our show. For new episodes of Wine Crush and to discover other PRP podcasts, check out the PRP Podcast Co-op at prp.fm. 
Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Up next on the podcast is Eric Berg from Ricochet Wine. Thanks, Eric, for joining us and uh, lending a bit of laughter and fun to the afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so grateful to be here. Yes. Well, you and I have had multiple conversations, usually over beer, not wine, which is always interesting to me. Um, But you did not start in Oregon and you had quite the journey across the country. So let's talk about how you got here. (laughs) Okay. Well, the long and short of it is I'm a Pennsylvanian, but I came out here via Chicago, just like the Wilco song. Um, And in Chicago, after uh, graduating from Northwestern, I lived downtown, squandered my education and got into the restaurant business. And there I found that I was rather adept at doing some table sales and I got into wine and really enjoyed the whole, the whole wine thing. You know, I, it, I don't have a formal education in it, but at one point, my boss at one of the restaurants I was at said, you're now the wine buyer. And um, I learned through trial and error. I had reps come in. We were an all Italian list. Uh, and I, I learned by doing. And uh, it was actually a really great education. And so that's where I kind of started with this, what I thought was going to be a long-term career in the Chicago restaurant scene. And I bounced around restaurants as people in Chicago are wont to do. And the final place I landed was with a great chef, Susie Crofton, Crofton on Wells. And she had an amazing wine list, but she had a whole page dedicated to Oregon Pinot Noir because she had come out for the Pinot Camp. And this is back in like 2001, 2002 way ahead of the curve on the whole Pinot thing. And I was immediately smitten. Not only was I selling that wine, but like I was consuming it myself. And when the next blizzard hit, my wife and I decided, you know, let's move West. We need a reason to move West. And without having ever been to Oregon, I applied to all the wineries out here and got a harvest gig at Domaine Serene and drove three days and landed at August 15th in 2004. And that's how it got me out here, just on a kind of a lark. So it sounds like not even really a whim, but it's like a wine whim. It was a wine whim. Yeah, sure. Sure. I had no concept of what was going on. I'm a total city slicker. You know, I grew up in Allentown, PA, and I'm in Chicago. Like, uh, never wore Carhartts in my life, you know. Yeah, that first harvest was definitely eye-opening in, in many, many ways, but it was also uh, fascinating to me. I, I don't like being sedentary. I like working with my hands. I, I like getting a good workout, and that's what harvest is, you know. For me to to take that leap of faith into something that I, you know, I knew how to sell wine. I knew how to buy wine. I certainly knew how to drink wine. Uh, and I, that was the missing piece. I wanted to learn how to make it. And it's so interesting because you also have a background in education as well, because you came out as a history teacher, if I remember uh, right. English. English teacher. Yeah. My, my bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, but when you're looking at this kind of interesting road that you've taken and you land at Domaine Serene of all places to start, you know, your initial wine journey for it. Because you've also had some cool jobs and positions as well at some really different wineries as well. And it's just, I don't know. I love the story. I love the road. I love the journey. Well, the whole thing. So thank you. I mean, I didn't write the script, you know, you kind of, you follow the road where it takes you. Um, You know, I came out here and I got, I I was at Domain Serene for three years, but then I had hip surgery and I couldn't walk and I couldn't make wine. So that's when I became a teacher. So that's why, that's why I ended up leaving the business because ostensibly, you know, I wasn't going to just sit in a desk again. I couldn't do that. I wanted to do something that was more significant. And if I had two years to learn how to walk again, you know, wine was not, is no longer available to me. And so that's when I left. But the education that I got in those three years at Domain Serene were, I mean, they have all the bells and whistles. They have the high expectations. 
um, for consistency and for quality, um, for sanitization, you know, for all of those things that, you know, I, I don't know if everyone gets that opportunity to learn at that degree. Well, that was perfect timing because I want to talk a little bit more about your other um, adventures and other experiences, and then we'll get right into the wine here in just a moment. Cool. Thanks for listening to Wine Crush. You can find all the episodes of Wine Crush in the PRP Podcast Co-op at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with Eric Berg from Ricochet Wine. And the one thing I did not ask you is why Ricochet? What does the name mean? What does it mean to you? So there's two reasons for it. So as I mentioned, I had reconstructive hip surgery at the ripe old age of 32, and I left the wine world thinking that was it, and I wanted to find something significant to do, became a teacher. After six years of teaching, which I loved, I became a statistic. I burnt out hardcore and just was not able to do the work, and it wasn't good for my family, it wasn't good for me. There was no self-care, right? So I bounced back, and my good friend Brad Ford, the owner and winemaker of Illahee Vineyards, said, hey, why don't you come help me at uh, – at harvest and he saved me and I worked that harvest. And then immediately he was like, you're my associate winemaker. You're in charge, right? Of running things here. And, uh, and so I owe a lot to Ilahi for, for, for that. Um, and I worked there for about three years and then I got a headhunter call to see if I would like to be the educator for Marion County juvenile detention. And so they offered me a lot of money and I still had this itch on my back because I felt like I failed as a teacher. So I quit Illahi and I went and taught in juvie where I was locked in a room with 16 kids aged 12 to 24 uh, who did crazy things. And I taught them mice and men. I taught them how to play chess. Uh, I did my best. But lo and behold, after six months, I burned out again. And so, you know, you can't, that's just a thing I can't fix. So the ricochet is I'm back and this is it. I'm doing it. And so part of it is I'm bouncing back. But then I have this social justice itch, right, where I still think – I think wine is all about community. Of all the things that have booze in them, right, beer, wine, spirits, wine is the most convivial in my mind. You open up a bottle, you're generally sharing it with someone. We're sharing it right now, right? Absolutely. So, so – but I can drink whiskey in a dark room by myself, no problem, right? So for me, because the Oregon wine community is already tight-knit and small and close – and wine itself is community-oriented. I wanted the brand to be community-oriented. So I contribute 5% of what I make across the whole portfolio to local nonprofits that have a social justice mission. And so right now, I'm working with the Remnant Initiatives out of Newburgh. They help formerly incarcerated Yamhill County residents avoid recidivism, avoid going back to jail by helping them with clothing, jobs, shelter. And so uh, the ricochet is also helping other people bounce back as well. I did not know that. There you go. So what a cool thing. Um, gosh, I don't know where to go other than to let's just talk about <laughs> the wine. Other than I do love how you started because this was like a crowd yeah. fundraising project with your family and friends. Yeah, yeah. Like so when I took uh, the job uh, working for Brienne Day, I said, hey, I'd like to make some wine on the side just for myself. And just friends and family. So that's exactly what I did. I, I had no intention of going commercial. And I did one ton of Gruner Ventliner and one ton of Pinot Noir. And I had friends give me 500 bucks a pop. And that was like a share. I was the biggest shareholder, but I had all these, I had like 18 people contribute. And that bought the grapes and the barrels and all that jazz. And uh, that's how Ricochet started. It was talk about community. It was like people 
coming in, pitching in, and they were getting wine at cost. So there was a, it wasn't totally altruistic on their part, but, and then when I uh, bottled up my Gruner, uh, Brianne tasted the wine. She said, oh man, you should go legit. You should go legit because now you've brought us, well, you've brought us four wines. I think there's maybe more than four wines. I have but, four wines here. Okay. But not four wines total. No, right, uh, I'll have five wines for the 2019. Right? Okay. That's what I thought. But I wanted to make sure that that crowd fundraiser thing was such a cool piece to me because you don't hear that very often. And people don't realize how expensive getting into the wine business is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a cheap hobby. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, I've had plenty of good friends just question my sanity for wanting to launch a brand. But, you know, I, I've i never been entrepreneurial uh, in, in that way. Of, oh, you know, I've never had a thing that was mine like this. And why not go for it, you know? I mean, the odds are what they are, right? They, they are what they are. And we have not talked about the wine yet, technically. So sure. we're going to pause. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk about the wine that you brought us and the wine that you got coming up. Word. You're listening to Wine Crush, one of our locally produced podcasts at Portland Radio Project. Get in touch, discover, and listen at prp.fm. We are back to talk about wine with Eric Berg with Ricochet. And we've hinted around the fact that you brought wine, but we actually haven't talked about it. So we've been drinking it. <laughs> we've been drinking it. We've been drinking a lot of wine this afternoon, but you know how much more fun can we have? We need to talk about it too. So you have a um, one varietal in particular that we don't see a lot in Oregon as far as you see it blended, but you don't really see it as a standalone. And you actually have another cool red blend too that is um, a little bit different as well. So I started the brand with my white being a Gruner Ventliner. So I have that, the 2019 I just released. But I added uh, a standalone uh, 2019 Pinot Blanc that's also just been launched. And then I created a, a red blend between uh, – it's a 50-50 split between Pinot Noir and Tempranillo. That's just meant to be this nice sort of easygoing, throw it in a coffee mug, pinkies in type of wine. So you said during the break that Tempranillo and Pinot were thought to be related by this. Yeah. So my, my uh, stepfather and I uh, – he's – Mid-70s, he's fascinated with this, the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is like a missionary pilgrimage that you take. It takes, you know, a month or longer to walk it. And I was researching it, and it turns out that for many, many uh, centuries that there's a belief by the Spaniards that Tempranillo and Pinot Noir were related to one another. They thought that French missionaries were coming down and just like, I don't know, throwing cuttings everywhere as – they do, apparently. The Johnny Appleseeds yeah, of wine. Yeah, just throw them around, right? And if you've ever seen a Tempranillo cluster and a, and a Pinot Noir cluster, like <laughs> they are very different. But uh, I bought some Tempranillo, so I'll have a standalone Tempranillo. I still have Pinot, which I love, and then I'll have a Pinot. And I thought, as I had these two, what would it be like to bring them together? Uh, would they complement one another if for so many hundreds of years, people thought they were akin to one another? Um, and so that's what I did. And I just uh, made 50 cases of it to see if it would stick to the wall and see if people dug it and... So far, seems like they do. I think it's being dug. I yeah, mean, we, I, I think it's done. Done dig. It, dug. <laughs> <laughs> I know the room has really enjoyed it. So yeah, it's just, it's a fun wine. So you know, the nice thing about it is like the Pinot is bringing the, the the red fruit and the acid, and then the Tempranillo is bringing sort of a backbone and some depth to it. But it's only six months in the barrel. It's all neutral, um, and it kind of just drinks on its own. But if you want to throw it down with some barbecue, 
have at it, man. You know, it's like that. I want my wines to be, so I want to make generally single varietal wines that are sophisticated and true to the varietal and true to Oregon terroir. But a blend like this, I just want it to be just sort of accessible, you know, just uh, at a good price point and, but still sophisticated, like still a well-crafted wine. I don't think you have to sacrifice quality just because it's your quote unquote red blend, right? Like it, people want quality regardless of what they're paying for it. You know, absolutely. I mean that, and that is the biggest thing. I mean, you hear Tempranillo, you hear Syrah, and you know, you think of kind of this high bread, expensive bottle of wine, and that's just not it. But I do want to make sure that people know where to find you. Yes, where you're pouring your wine. Okay, so on a daily basis, uh, you can come down to Day Wines, and our tasting room uh, has my wine for sale uh, by the bottle. People can contact me. I'm at ricochetwine.com. And if they want to set up an appointment, I'm happy to do tours and tastings. I'll throw in some barrel sampling because people really enjoy that. So they can arrange that with me. Uh, and then coming up in late April, I'll be pouring at the, the Poor Oregon event, which I think is at the convention center, if I'm correct. World or, Trade or the World Trade Center. There Thank we go. You. The World there Trade Center, April 26th. Not sure the hours, but that'll be an amazing place to catch yeah, so many cool different event. things. It's a super cool event. Everyone should go. Totally, <laughs> totally agree. I will be there this year for Perfect. sure. Thank you, Eric, for joining us and sharing the story of Ricochet, sharing all the wines that you brought today and your sense of humor and your extensive vocabulary. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wine Crush. Have a great weekend and we will see you at the bottom of the glass. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for lovers. For lovers. For lovers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we, <laughs> Where are we going with this? Why is this my segment? Yeah. <laughs> is it the bathroom?